0: In episode two, we discussed how Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice produces such intense and complicated responses in its audiences via the way it explores the characters' structures of feeling. In this episode, we'll go more deeply into the emotional lives of Antonio and Shylock, the antagonists who hate each other while also strangely resembling each other. We'll also hear their clash come to a head in the climactic trial scene. Stephen Greenblatt, John Cogan University Professor of the Humanities at Harvard University, guides our discussion. Our first speech comes from Act One. Bassanio has just hinted that he needs yet another loan from Antonio, and Antonio responds in terms that indicate the unusually deep affection he feels for Bassanio.
1: I pray you, good Bassanio, let me know it. And if it stand, as you yourself still do, within the eye of honor, be assured. My purse, my person, my extremest means lie all unlocked to your occasions. You know me well, and herein spend but time to wind about my love with circumstance. And out of doubt, you do me now more wrong in making question of my uttermost than if you had made waste of all I have. Then do but say to me what I should do, that in your knowledge may by me be done, and I am pressed unto it. Therefore speak, thou knowest that all my fortunes are at sea, neither have I money nor commodity to raise a present sum. Therefore go forth, try what my credit can in Venice do, that shall be racked even to the uttermost, to furnish thee to Belmont, to fair Portia, Go presently inquire, and so will I where money is. And I no question make to have it of my trust or for my sake.
2: Bassanio has come to Antonio for money, and he comes in with a somewhat roundabout explanation for why he's hoping to be able to pay it all back. Antonio is at least representing himself as impatient and even a little bit offended by that, as you might be. If a friend comes to you and you feel you understand what the friend is asking you for, but the friend isn't getting to the point, but rather doing an elaborate number to try to soften you up. Antonio is ready. He's always ready with Bassanio. He loves Bassanio. My purse, my person, my extremist means lie all unlocked to your occasion. This is a play about caskets that are locked and then unlocked, about everything that is closed and open. I'm there for you, my purse and person. So Antonio says to Bassanio, you know me well. And that itself is simultaneously an expression of love and a bit of a reproach. You know me well. You know what I feel about you. You know that you can get from me whatever you want. And spending time to wind about my love with circumstance, as he calls it, is therefore a kind of insult. It's as if We are not intimate with each other, as if you're dealing with someone who's a stranger. And I want you to ask me for everything, for the uttermost. This is the speech of a person who genuinely loves someone else, and who feels upset that the person is not acknowledging the full extent of the intimacy between them. Then do but say to me what I should do. Tell me what you want. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I'll do anything even though you know that I don't have a lot of money at the moment in my counting house. He tells Bassanio to go out in his name, quote, try what credit in Venice can do, end quote. In other words, it's like giving someone your debit card. See what you can get. I don't think I have much in the account, but whatever you can do with this card, here's my PIN number, and you can get whatever you can out of this. His credit, he says, will be racked even to the uttermost to furnish thee to Belmont and fair Portia. How that must have hurt, Antonio, to say that. I know what you want. You want to get this woman. I love you. You want to get this other person. He uses that extremely strange metaphor that she'll be racked even to the uttermost. The rack was a torture device that was, I'm sorry to say, used in Elizabethan England and Jacobean England. It was a device to stretch the body out until it broke the joints, an excruciating punishment. And Antonio uses unconsciously, playfully, however we use metaphors, an extreme metaphor of torture to describe what would be done to his credit by Bassanio at Venice in order to satisfy Bassanio's desire to go to Belmont to woo fair Portia. There's a little something at the end of this speech of love. There's something angry, borderline aggressive. Take my money, take all of it. Break my credit, if you want. I am yours, you know that. There's something disturbing about this love speech.
0: This speech is one of the most famous speeches in Shakespeare. The Venetians Solanio and Salarino have been mocking Shylock about his daughters running away, And Shylock says that Antonio should look to his bond and the promised pound of flesh. Salarino asks why he would want Antonio's flesh. This is Shylock's reply
3: He has disgraced me and hindered me half a million, laughed at my losses, mocked at my gains, scorned my nation thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heated mine enemies. And what's his reason? I am a Jew. Hath not a Jew eyes? Hath not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions? fed with the same food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? If we are like you in the rest, we will resemble you in that. If a Jew wrong a Christian, what is his humility? Revenge. If a Christian wrong a Jew, what should his sufferance be by Christian example? Why, revenge! The villainy you teach me, I will execute and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction.
2: Shylock's speech, I am a Jew, is probably now the most famous speech in The Merchant of Venice. And it has a special range of meanings after the Holocaust, particularly, that it may not have had for most people, either readers or audiences, before the horrors of the mid-20th century. That is to say, Now this speech hath not a Jew eyes, if you prick us, do we not bleed. This speech seems like an essential expression of humanity, even the humanity of your worst, most stereotyped enemies. It feels that way to me. And I think it feels that way to all contemporary audiences. Whether it meant that for the audience in the 1590s, I simply don't know. I do not know how the original audiences or audiences more comfortable with anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism would have felt. It's a speech that arises out of a scene of race-baiting and mockery, or religious-baiting and mockery. Antonio's friends have just been asking Shylock why he wants this, why he isn't willing to back off from a completely crazy demand for the pound of flesh. And Shylock tries to give the answer. The framing of the answer is, that's why I'm gonna kill this enemy. This is why I'm going to kill him. He has disgraced me and hindered me half a million. He's taken my money away. Shylock builds up a set of resentments tumbling out of him that he feels toward Antonio. And that's the beginning of the speech. And he ends the speech with a threat to kill Antonio. So the framing of what we now take to be a poignant expression of fundamental humanity is, I am going to kill my loathed enemy. And if we isolate a certain part of the speech, if we take that central passage out and away from the beginning and the ending, this is why I hate him, because I lost money, because he has disgraced me, scorned me, and this is what I'm going to do to him. Don't hope that I'll back off. Then it looks like a rather enlightenment account of shared humanity. And maybe that's what it can be. But the context is the fact that I am going to kill that son of a bitch no matter what you tell me. That does, rather, alter the emotional feeling of the whole thing. Now, we could say that there's a kind of harder-edged humanism in Shylock's speech that has to do with the fact that if you treat people a certain way, consistently, miserably, if you make them unhappy and suffer economically, if you have a kind of structural persecution, not only to them personally, but to a whole group, mocked my gains, scorned my nation, thwarted my bargains, cooled my friends, heated my enemies, If you have a long history of structural persecution, you're going to produce exactly what you've got here, which is rage. And it's going to produce that rage in everybody. It's not just a question of this person or this one group. Anyone will feel this after enough time. Don't you get it? Don't you understand that that's what you're producing? Not just in me, but in any sentient human being? The specifics of me is that I'm a Jew, but it would also be true for you. You should know that. So we could say that that the context qualifies what Shylock says, but it's not, how should we say, sentimental, it's tougher. The whole play is tougher and meaner and harder about the structures of hatred. Hatred that is in this case directed from Christians to Jews, but also from Jews to Christians. And we could say out to a much larger world in which you can fill in the blank with any group. That is the immediate context of the speech. And then there comes this extraordinary explosion of what it is to be a human being. I am a Jew. Sherlock acknowledges the core of the hatred that he's faced all his life. And then he turns his view out onto his own body. has not a Jew hands, organs, dimensions, senses, affections, passions. These are all what comes with being what we all are as human creatures, fed with the same food, as he says. You could qualify that remark and say, well, not quite the same food, because it is special food, kosher food in the case of Shylock, but still fed with food, hurt with the same weapons, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as a Christian is. I think perhaps what we should say about This part is that we can see Shakespeare's strange imagination at work. When he takes the basic point, which we can all get, look, I'm human, like the rest of you, it just begins to build up in Shakespeare's imagination. And the enumeration of things, subject to the same diseases, healed by the same means, warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer, you begin to build up in a way that you wouldn't if you just said, isn't the Jew a human being like everyone else? you build up an enormously powerful sense, a sense that it is possible to feel with any persecuted group in the world. When we ask ourselves, stepping back from our local hatreds, who are we talking about here? Who are we dealing with? Aren't these people with ordinary lives that we all have, who are hurt with the same weapons, who bleed with the same blood? If you tickle us, do we not laugh, Shylock says? If we poison us, do we not die? And then it is only after this extraordinary opening toward the shared humanity in these unusually specific ways that Shylock says, if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Then, of course, he turns it all around and says, look, that's what the Christians do. They take revenge. This is a play that doesn't deny the fact that Christians and Jews are driven by hatred as well as love. They share a kind of collective human life. If you're tickled, you laugh. If you're pricked, you bleed. If you're persecuted, you feel anger. And even though the context of the speech is menace, Shylock's profound, implacable hatred of Antonio, his determination to kill him if he possibly can, that's the beginning and the end of it. The villainy you teach me, I will execute and it shall go hard, but I will better the instruction. I really will do this in a remarkably effective and successful way. But it's the same thing that you would do. The core, the core is what it means to be a human being. And we learn this lesson and we forget it and we learn it and forget it and learn it and forget it over and over and over again. And we're living it now. We ask ourselves, why are people so angry? And then we actually answer the question to ourselves if we're thoughtful enough. Well, if you prick them, don't they bleed? If you tickle them, don't they laugh? Don't they desire? Don't they die of the same diseases we die of? And you have to try to come to terms with that. This does not mean that you can't be frightened by the anger, that you think that you can't or shouldn't thwart it. Shylock has to be stopped from killing Antonio. He wants to kill Antonio legally. He wants to get away with it. He wants to cut a pound of his flesh out. It's horrible. He has to be stopped. But the play makes you come to terms, at least for certain moments, this moment, with the fact that Shylock is this way for a reason. He's not just coming out of nowhere. He's coming out of a life experience, which is also your life experience, what would be your life experience if you were in his position. We're all potentially in the same position, not with an identical history, but with a history of vulnerability and of pleasure that we share as human beings, laughter and pain that are part of our inheritance as a species, whether we're Jew, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, it doesn't matter. And that is the brilliance of this play.
0: This scene is an excerpt from the courtroom scene when Shylock goes before the Duke with Antonio to claim his pound of flesh. Portia, disguised as a male lawyer, has urged Shylock to accept repayment of his money instead and cancel the bond, but Shylock has refused. He will accept only what is specified in the bond. Shylock tells Antonio to prepare for the knife. But just then, Portia interrupts him and radically changes the case.
4: Tarry a little. There is something else. This bond doth give thee here no jot of blood. The words expressly are a pound of flesh. Take then thy bond, take thou thy pound of flesh, but in the cutting it, if thou dost shed one drop of Christian blood, thy lands and goods are by the laws of Venice confiscate unto the state of Venice. For as thou urgest justice, be assured. Thou shalt have justice more than thou desirest. Therefore prepare thee to cut off the flesh. Shed thou no blood, nor cut thou less, nor more, but just a pound of flesh. If thou takest more or less than a just pound, be it but so much as makes it light or heavy in the substance or the division of the twentieth part of one poor scruple, nay, if the scale do turn but in the estimation of a hair, thou diest and all thy goods are confiscate. Tarry, Jew, the law hath yet another hold on you. It is enacted in the laws of Venice if it be proved against an alien that by direct or indirect attempts he seek the life of any citizen, the party against the which he doth contrive shall seize one half his goods, the other half comes to the privy coffer of the state, and the offender's life lies in the mercy of the duke only, against all other voice, in which predicament I say thou standst. For it appears by manifest proceeding that indirectly and directly too, thou hast contrived against the very life of the defendant and thou hast incurred the danger formerly by me rehearsed. Down, therefore, and beg mercy of the Duke. So please, my Lord, the Duke and all the court, to quit the fine for one half of his goods. I am content, so he will let me have the other half in use to render it upon his death unto the gentleman that lately stole his daughter. Two things provided more, that for his favor, he presently become a Christian the other that he do record a gift here in the court of all he dies possessed unto his son, Lorenzo, and his daughter. Art thou contented? Do What dost thou say? I am content.
2: The legal issues in the fourth act, in the courtroom, have fascinated people for a very long time. There have been many retrials of the case. I was involved in one in Venice in which Ruth Bader Ginsburg presided over a very distinguished group of jurists trying to re-adjudicate the case. But a simple way of saying what happens in the courtroom is that Shylock comes to the court for a commercial complaint for which the law of Venice treats everyone alike. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Christian, everyone has to submit to the same commercial code in Venice. That's the way Venice functions as a state, and then by Portia's clever move the case shifts and becomes a criminal case. Because after all, Shylock is trying not simply to get a commercial satisfaction, he'll be shedding blood, and shedding blood moves you to a different sphere legally in Venice. In that sphere there is a distinction between being a citizen and a non-citizen, between Jew and non-Jew. Jews cannot be citizens in Venice and a foreigner, a non-citizen, cannot take the blood of a Venetian citizen legally. And suddenly, we're in a different setting. Shylock is being treated differently, legally, in the way that the play imagines it, so that he's offered an opportunity to take what he says he's owed, which is a pound of flesh, but if he sheds even a drop of blood, his goods will be confiscated and he will be executed. What interests me about this moment is what you have to imagine when it is staged. When it is staged, you have to realize, that Shakespeare goes out of his way to incorporate the staging, not just in stage directions, but in the speeches that are made, you have to realize that Antonio was tied to a chair and bound, and that his shirt is open, and that Shylock has a knife poised against him. The point is that Shylock can do this, Portia says he can do this, He can kill Antonio, but he has to understand that if he kills Antonio, it will not be a legal act. He will kill him, and he will be executed. He'll lose his money. He will die. That is to say, Shakespeare goes out of his way to stage what I would call the suicide bomber's decision. How much do I hate my enemy? Do I hate him enough to give my own life in order to take his own life? I will get him finally. I've been obsessed with this. He's destroyed me. He's been involved in the luring of my daughter away. He's everything I loathe in the world. I can do it finally. And Shakespeare goes out of his way to stage the scene so that we see that Shylock is poised to do it and cannot, that he could do it and he doesn't. He doesn't take Antonio's life as part of a legal arrangement that he agrees to make. Antonio is given the opportunity, likewise, to let Shylock off the extreme penalty, which is death, if certain conditions are met, that Shylock kneel down and beg mercy from the Duke. Antonio lists the conditions. The conditions are that he give the rest of his money in use, that is to say, as an interest-free loan to Antonio, and then he'll give it to his daughter and his daughter's Christian husband. It is put in the most direct and uncomfortable way, quote, so he let me have the other half in use to render it upon his death unto the gentleman that lately stole his daughter, and then that he become a Christian, end quote, and that he, quote, record a gift here in the court of all he dies possessed unto Lorenzo, end quote. Then Antonio says, if Shylock does all of those things, I am content. In other words, Antonio will agree to this arrangement. And Portia ends the exchange by saying, art thou contented, Jew? And never has there been more disturbing force placed in that word, content or contented. What dost thou say? Shylock says, I am content. Whatever that means, I am content. He has agreed to this arrangement, but the full ironic force of content, for both of them really, for Antonio as well, and even more for Shylock, is to focus on the distinction between consent legally by saying I'm content to this arrangement, which both Antonio and Shylock give up the opportunity each has to destroy the other completely, and what could mean emotionally to be content. No one could be less content than Shylock at this point. I think Antonio could be said to be content possibly, but you could say that deep down beneath even Antonio's I am content, he understands that he is doing all of this so that Bassanio and Portia can have an interest-free marriage, a marriage without the emotional bond the claim that he, Antonio, has had on Bassanio. And that has been Portia's plan all along, breaking that emotional bond.
5: Shakespeare for All is written and produced by Maria Devlin-McNair. Executive producer is Zachary Davis. Associate producer and narrator is Gemma Deer. Original music and sound design is by Jack Pombriant. This episode featured performances from the following actors. Scott Ripley, for Antonio. I pray you, good Bassanio, let me know it. Ray Dooley, for Shylock. He hath disgraced me. Katie Stevens, for Portia, Antonio, and Shylock, in the courtroom scene. Terry a little. For this course, information was drawn from and ideas were inspired by the following sources. Lars Engel, Shakespearean pragmatism. Marjorie Garber, Shakespeare After All. Alexander Leggett, The Merchant of Venice, A Modern Perspective. Emma Smith, This is Shakespeare. And the following editions of The Merchant of Venice, the 2010 RSC Shakespeare, the 2010 Arden Shakespeare, and the 2016 Norton Shakespeare. Shakespeare for All is a Lyceum original production and available exclusively on Himalaya Learning you can gain access to the full course by going to himalaya.com slash Shakespeare. Thank you for listening. See you next time.